Good morning, Cross Point. It is great to be here with you today. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point Church. And um, we today is uh, actually this our last week in this series, All for the Gospel. Next week, we're going to start a new series in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 called Worship Wars. And we're going to, uh, for just a few weeks, talk about uh, worship and um, some of the things that that tend to divide churches and people in churches and things like that. And, and during that series, of course, is, there's some amazing chapters in, in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter on love is there and, and some other um, just um, really life-changing passages of Scripture. So I'm really excited about that series. We're going to kick that off next week. And, um, and then that, you know, at, right after that is Easter is pretty much coming up. And uh, it's a really exciting time for us as a church and for every church as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's just right around the corner. Hopefully the snow will be melted by then and we can celebrate in some decent weather. But um, that's, that's not all that important. Today, we're going to talk about gray areas in life. And uh, what I mean is um, areas that you know God hasn't really clearly spoken to in his word. And... For example, you know, a few weeks ago, I, t- I, um, I gave a message from 1 Corinthians 8, and in that message, we talked about some gray areas, we, we ta- including uh, drinking alcohol and whether or not Christians should drink alcohol and when it's okay for them to drink alcohol and, um, you know, should you allow alcohol in your home and all of those kinds of issues surrounding um, alcohol. And uh, interestingly, I got a lot of feedback on that message. Uh, which I normally don't get get a whole lot, you, and and some of it, some people loved the message, and some people really didn't like it, and um, which is fine. I mean, it's totally fine. I, I certainly don't expect you guys to agree with everything I say every week. Believe me, and I and I I, I want to take this opportunity to tell you that I welcome your feedback, especially if it's critical feedback. I, it gives us an opportunity to talk about God's word, and uh, usually the only time I get into trouble is when I'm when I'm giving you my opinions. <laughs> It's really not my job to give you my opinions. It's my job to preach the word. And so that's what I'm here to do today. And, um, you know, if I stick to preaching the word and you don't agree with me, I can just say, hey, I didn't say it. God, God said um, but, but honestly, we're going we're gonna to talk about this issue one more time. And if you've only been coming to Cross Point for a few weeks, I want you to know we talk about more than just beer here at this church. But we're talking about it again today because the Apostle Paul comes back around full circle um, to this issue of gray areas. And one of the things I love about our church, and it was interesting a few weeks ago, that was, the, that was the day, by the way, where it was like 85 degrees in here, and everyone was hot and starting to sweat. Um, and I, it was like a generational thing. Like everyone, anyone over the age of 50, or a lot of people over the age of 50 were, you know, um, <laughs> thought one thing about it, and everyone under the age of 40 thought another thing. And I love that we're a diverse church. I, I really do. That's really important that we're a diverse church and that we don't agree on all of these gray areas, you know, er- issues like politics and parenting and drinking um, and, and all of these issues that are, aren't, you know, they're important, but they're not that important. It gives us, when we disagree on, on issues like those issues, you know, gray areas and stuff like that. It gives us an opportunity to love one another, to understand one another, and to rise above some of these secondary issues 
and to show that we, you know, to, to prove that we agree on the things that matter, the things that are really important. So that's all I really wanted to say. It, 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 and today, as we talk about God's word again, I, I just want I, I just want you to know that my goal is to is to show you what God says about this, so that you can live the freest life possible. You know, God wants us to live the freest life that there is. He wants Christians to be free and to live with, with, with this liberty and freedom that we have in Christ. We should be the most free people that there are, and, the, and, and people should notice that. And so we're, we're going to get into that today as we talk about 1 Corinthians 10. Um, so w- gray areas. Let, let's talk about gray areas before we get into the text a little bit. Gray areas like, you know, drinking alcohol and politics and sometimes there's theological issues that are more gray areas. Um, they're, they're all over the place. And if God wanted to avoid gray areas, he would have made them black and white. I, I just want to make that clear. He, he would have made those issues black and white because he does that. God makes those issues black and white all the time. He make, there's so many black and white issues in the Bible you know, things you should do and things you shouldn't do. Um, as we, you know, sexual immorality, that's something you shouldn't do. You shouldn't, you shouldn't engage in any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. That's black and white. Greed, uh, idolatry, jealousy, pride, uh, lying, all of those things, those are black and white issues. Love is a black and white issue. <laughs> you know, those are all black and white issues. And um, the, the problem is, that there are a lot of people who are just not comfortable with gray areas. It just makes them uncomfortable. They just don't like it. They, they want to just, you know, make it clear. And uh, in the New Testament, there were people like that, and they were called Pharisees. And the Pharisees were not comfortable with God's law because it wasn't black and white enough. There were too many gray areas. And so over the course of many years, the Pharisees developed over 600 additional laws that the Jewish people had to follow. And you know why they did that? Because they wanted to eliminate all the gray areas. They wanted to make sure nobody, here's God's law, very black and white, but we got to make sure nobody even gets close to breaking God's law. So we got to make all these other laws and rules around God's law to make sure no one gets too close and to eliminate all these gray areas. And uh, you know who broke those laws? Jesus. That's why the Pharisees did not like, they hated Jesus because he broke those laws all the time. Because those weren't God's laws, those were their laws. You you know, we do this too today. We we make up laws, and and as it relates to drinking, I've heard a law come up here and there, and, and the law is, you know, Christians should not drink in public. They just shouldn't do it. And they, and, and, you know, we want to make that a law or some kind of special criteria that Christians just sh- across the board shouldn't do that. And, and I just want to tell you, that is not, that's not a Jesus law. That's a Pharisee law. That law, you, you're not going to, in these passages we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians, God doesn't resort to, to giving us that verdict. He just doesn't do that. He says, here's what's best. You need to use discernment. You need to consider this. He doesn't say, do this and don't do this. That's not what it's about. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about rules. It's about freedom. It's about love. It's about, it's about having access to God and, and giving others that access. And so today, 
As we look at our passage, just want you to keep that in mind as, as we go through the text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And here's what we read, beginning in verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So we're going to pause there. And we've come full circle now as Paul is once more going to bring us back to the whole issue of eating meat that was offered to an idol. And and what's his point? His point is very simple. He says, okay, everything's lawful. Eat whatever you want. He's agreeing. He's saying you can eat whatever you want. There's nothing off limits to you. You're in Christ now. Drink whatever you want. That's not the point. Okay? As as long as those things aren't expressly forbidden by God, you are free to do it. You are free to enjoy those things. They're a gift from God. Um, All these gray areas, drinking, smoking, dancing, music. Um, I, I, I would love to make it against the law to listen to boy bands from the 90s. As I said last week, I can't, but I can't do that. You're free to listen to that stuff if you really want to. The movies we watch, the clothes we wear, you know, the things we buy. Are you, you know, we, we oftentimes get, get stuck in this uh, question, well, should I, can I do it? Is it okay? Well, yes, it's okay. Go ahead, you're free. The question is not, are you allowed to watch that or listen to that or eat that or wear that or buy that or drink that? That's not the question. The question is, is it good for your neighbor? That's the question that that Paul's concerned about. Is it what's best for your neighbor? Does it build you up? Does it build others up in the faith? Is it is it good for your neighbor? Are you thinking about your neighbor? This isn't what this isn't about what you can or can't do. This, he's saying, do what's best for your neighbor, not yourself. If what you're doing might harm someone who sees you or violate their conscience or, or distress them in some way or offend them, then you probably shouldn't do it because you're not acting in love. You're not loving them by doing that. That's what he's saying. That's his point. And he gets more specific in verses 25 to 30. Let's read that section. This is the middle section of the passage. He says, eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, you're disposed to go. Eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced for that which I give thanks? So I just want to offer you a very, sometimes it's helpful to just look at God's word and outline what it is we just read. And and so here I want to outline for you what we just read so far. A, eat whatever you want. With the exception, consider the sensitivities of others around you. B, eat whatever you want. (laughs) That is literally how the text is is presented to us in outline form. We are free to eat whatever we want. We are free to drink whatever we want. However, we should always consider what's best for the people around us, for our neighbor, what's best for the unbeliever we're with, whoever it is we're with. We should put put them first. Consider their needs more important than our own. That's why he keeps saying, you have all these rights, but 
many times it's best if you just lay those down and do what's best for the other person. Consider what's best for them. Consider who they are. Consider their background. Cons- you know, consider what their sensitivities are. Now, so just to sum up where we've been, all right? You are totally free to enjoy all the food and, and beverages that, that, that God has given us to enjoy, even alcoholic beverages, right? We are free to enjoy all those things. We are free to enjoy this life and to live, this, live in this world. But we need to be sensitive to other people and their needs. If your neighbor, you say you have a neighbor, and they invite you over for dinner, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but, and they offer you, in, in, in Paul's time it was meat, and they put it in front of you, you're not even, it's not even helpful to ask where it came from, he said. Don't even ask, don't even worry about where it came from, just eat it, out of courtesy. If your neighbor offers you a beer, and just, just out of kindness, just, just drink it. Okay, unless you're allergic to it or something like that. Maybe you don't like it, but he's saying it might be, it's probably best to just drink it out of courtesy. Just drink it. But if they point out to you that that meat was, uh, you know, part of a, you know, um, an idol sacrifice or something like that, then don't. If, if they're offering you something and, and you think it's some kind of test, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's probably best just to, to refuse it, all right, out of sensitivity to them and their conscience. That's what he's saying. But otherwise, go ahead, just just take it, enjoy it. Just make sure we're sensitive to their conscience. Now, the one thing that we can't do, and it seems like we're probably doing this, but the one thing we really can't do is to let this passage get hijacked by the whole alcohol debate, (laughs) because that's really not what it's about, That's not even what this passage is about. The central focus of this passage is living a life that glorifies God and points people to Jesus. That's what this whole thing is about. The real focus of this passage is, are you living a life that is inclusive? Are you living a life that is inclusive? And if there's one thing that Christians are accused of in our our culture, it's being exclusive. It's being exclusive. Maybe you've heard that said before about, about Christians, and maybe it's because of our message. And if it's because of our message, fine, okay? Because, yeah, the message, is, the message is Jesus only. It's, it's Jesus is the only way to have peace with God. You can't move from that at all, left or right. It's Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That is the only way that we have any hope with God ever. But if they're talking about our, our habits and our practices and our way of life and our attitudes, then we have a problem. We have a big problem because that's not the way we're supposed to be. Here's what I mean. Many Christians, without really meaning to, have closed themselves off to the world. And, and the way they do that, and, and here's how. They don't go where unbelievers gather. They avoid bars and pubs and clubs and parties and other places where unbelievers gather to talk and build relationships, sometimes only because alcohol is served there. And it just makes them feel uncomfortable. You know, it might be personal preference. It might be because of a painful past. Or it might be because they think that if they avoid those places, it somehow makes them holy or acceptable to God. Right? And, and some of you are like, you know, we don't, we don't go to those movies. We don't watch that stuff. We don't go to those concerts. We don't drink that. We don't listen to that. 
We don't send our kids to public school. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. And we put up walls everywhere because we think that that's what makes you maybe more acceptable to God. Or maybe we think if we remove any of those walls, we're going to be unclean. Is this making sense to anybody? Here's the problem. We sometimes think that the best or easiest solution to the problem of sin is just to put up walls around us. Just to, just to cut ourselves off. You know, if you have a drinking problem, put up a wall. If you have a problem with, if you have an a, a addiction of some kind, put up a wall. If it's pornography, put up a wall. If, it's a bad, if you have a bad temper, just avoid any situation that would ever trigger anger in you, which for some of us would mean we'd have to move out of our house. <laughs> if your job creates all this stress and anxiety in your life, quit your job. Right? Christians tend to think if we can just avoid something entirely, that that's going to solve our sin problem. And it's easier for us to put up fences and restrict behaviors than it is to change our own hearts, isn't it? That's the thing. It's just easier. Last week we talked about idolatry. And we defined idolatry as looking to something or someone else to give you what only God can give you. That's idolatry. Every single one of us struggles with idolatry. We look to our kids for stuff. We look to our, our spouse. We look to our careers we look to education, we look to money to give us what only God can give us. We look to, to those things for security and joy and peace and happiness when ultimately only God can give us those things. That's what idolatry is. And our idol, it gives us worth. The reason we keep going back to it is because it gives us a sense of worth and, and a sense of control and a sense of purpose. But only God can give us those things. Only God can give us worth. Only God can get, tell us what our purpose is. And I want to tell you this. I have never, I have struggled with idolatry all my life. I've struggled with addiction. I've struggled with all, many, many sins. And I have never in my life been set free from an idol by putting up a fence. Never. I'm not saying you should never put up a fence. I'm not saying that putting up a wall and, and separating yourself is helpful in the short term. It can be. But putting up a fence can't change my heart. Putting up a fence can never change my wicked desires. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. So if you want to protect me from idolatry and sin, don't give me a bunch of rules. Give me the gospel. 
I need the gospel of Jesus. I need to know God is for me and not against me. I need to know that Jesus already paid the price for my sin. I need to know that my future inheritance is secure and that the Holy Spirit is in me, constantly interceding between me and God as my advocate, as my helper. I need to know I'm God's child. There's no program or fence that can change you in your innermost being. Putting up fences is not the answer. Removing fences between you and Jesus is. That's the answer. That's what we need. So Paul says, my freedom should not be limited by what other people think. If I can thank God for what I'm drinking or what I'm doing and I believe it's right, I am not condemned. But here's what he says at the end. Beginning in verse 26. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage of many, that they might be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's how he ends this section. All right, now this is, this is really, really important. Again, this, is not, this passage is not primarily about what you should do and what you shouldn't do, what you can do and what you can't do. All right? This, what this is about is what's best for your neighbor. How can I give an advantage to my neighbor? How can I seek my neighbor's good? How can I live with my neighbor in such a way that they consider who Jesus is? How can I live so that they might be saved? How, how can God use my life to show them to bring them to life in Jesus. That's what we should be thinking about. Some of us, if we're being honest, we're not all that interested in our neighbors. We're too caught up in our own lives. You know, we aren't burning inside to see, to see sinners be found by God. We're not all that interested in loving our neighbors. We wonder, well, why, why should I love my neighbor? What do they have to offer me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? That's what we ask all the time. Every day we ask that question in some way, you know? What's in it for me? And Paul's saying that is not the question that should drive your life. The question with, with this whole section is, what's in it for them? What's in it for them? What's in it for God? Think about that. What's in it for them? If you're willing to lay down your rights, what's in it for them is they might... They might see God in you for the first time. They might, they might have hope for the first time because of the way that you live. They might see something they've never seen before, and God might use that to change their life. And, and what's in it for God? Glory. God is the one who gets the glory, not you. God is what is... Glory is what's coming to God, not what's coming. That's not what, what we deserve. It's what God deserves. That's what's in it for God when we do this, when we set aside what's best for us to do something that's best for our neighbor. That's what the Christian life is about. Ray Stedman said of this passage, he said, that indicates where we are to live our Christian lives, right out in the midst of the world, just the way it is. It is clear that separation to Christ does not mean isolation from non-Christians. Our fellowship is to be with Christ. Our friendship is to be given to the non-Christians around us. That is very important. 
Very important. Listen to what Paul said. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about this passage in chapter 9. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. This is like a mission statement for the Apostle Paul. And he says it again in chapter 10. And then he says, imitate me. Do what I do. You should live this way too. He's talking about common ground. You know what common ground is, right? Common ground is discovering what's normal for another person and then participating in that. Right? As long as it's not in somehow violation of God's commands. That we should find that common ground and participate with them in that. For them. Not for you, for them. It's identifying with that person, wherever they are in life. Identifying with them, even if it's in their weakness. Identifying with them. Sharing in their life with them. You know, you know who did that better than any human who's ever graced this earth is Jesus. This is how Jesus lived every single day. He's the only human in history who loved his neighbor completely for the glory of God to the end of his life. To the very end of his life. That's why he gave his life was for his neighbor. Jesus never used other people to get praise for himself or to feel good about himself. He loved his neighbors. He, he didn't avoid bad people who did bad things. He spent time with them. He became their friend. He ate and drank at their parties. Jesus did so much eating and drinking with people of questionable character that he had a reputation for being a glutton and a drunkard. And that was the common ground. Jesus found people who needed God and who were willing to hear him talk about God and he ate and drank with them. That was his way of life. And the Gospel of Luke alone, Jesus, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a party, coming from a party, or on his way to a party. To eat and drink with people. There are only three ways that Jesus is described in the Gospels with the words, He came. The, the, the Gospels say, He came to seek and save the lost. It says, I forgot the second one. It was really bad. <laughs> um, but the third one is he came eating and drinking. <laughs> he came eating and drinking. It's what he was known for. Spending time with sinners around tables with food and wine. It was, was like normal life for Jesus. Why? Because it was normal life for everyone. Except for the Pharisees. It was just normal. It was the common ground. It was the way that he showed people what God is really like. It was the way he got his message across. It was the way that he saved sinners before he went to the cross. He befriended them. He made himself available to them for their advantage. You know, there's this, we sang that, um, that song today. 
The Reckless Love of God. I love that song so much, The Reckless Love of God. I love Luke 15. That song is t- talking about those parables, right? And we, it's talking about how God will go after you, and he will pursue you. If there's a hundred sheep and one is lost, and there's 99 who are still there, the shepherd will go leave the 99 in the open field and go after the one. That's how reckless God's love is. He, he, he loves us so much that he will pursue us at great cost to himself. That's God. That's our Father. And do you know what? You know what? As Jesus is telling those stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the, lo- the prodigal son, as he's talking about those stories, do you remember what he said after, after the first two stories? He, he, gives you, he gives us the point of the story. He says, For there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. You know what he's saying? He's saying that there is more joy and celebration in heaven when one sinner turns back to God than there is over us having a full auditorium on Sundays. Did you know that? God cares way more. I mean, he, he cares about people who need him. He cares about the lost. He loves them. He's pursuing them. And when only one person turns from their sin and from their idolatry and turns to God and begins to love God and follow God, there is more rejoicing in heaven over that than there is with a full house on Sundays here. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than if we were to stay here all day crying out to God in worship. Think about that. Do do we operate that way? Do you live your life that way, with that kind of passion, with that kind of longing for people and desire for people to know God and to have life in Jesus? Is that something that drives your life and your decision-making? Do you regularly consider what's best for your neighbor and how you can love them and how you can befriend them and how God might use you to bless them without expecting anything in return? That's the life that you and I are called to. Oh, that's the best life there is. It's the freest life there is. You know, we talk about all these issues, all these gray areas and all that. You know, eating meat offered to idols, drinking, and all that other stuff. What's the point? What is the point of talking about this? Is it so that we can be more unified and so that we can love each other better? Yeah, that's really good. Is it so that we can have a common confession and so that we can learn and grow and show, you know, and and be humble and all? Yeah, sure. But you know what the biggest reason is? So that more people can repent and turn to Jesus Christ for life. That's why we're talking about this. It's, It's so that even one sinner would repent and turn to God so that their life can be changed forever. So are you willing to set aside your own advantage and your own rights and your own preferences for the good of your neighbor? Will you lay your rights down? Will you live your life in such a way that God makes sense to them? You know, I, I have to add this. Do, do other people in the world look at your life and do they see freedom? When they, when they look at your life, do they, and, and if they know you're, let's say they know you're a Christian, 
when they look at your life, do they think, well, I guess being a Christian means you don't do a bunch of stuff and you can't really do what you want? Is that what your neighbors think following Jesus is? Because you know what? Just the opposite is true. Following Jesus means freedom that you've never had before. And our lives should reflect that. Because i got to tell you, since I've been following Jesus, I have power over sin that I never had before. Before I followed Jesus, I had to do what I wanted to do. I had to do what my desires led me to do. I was a slave to my desires. I didn't have any power over those things. I was a slave to sin. But now I'm free in Christ. I'm free. I'm free from the law, and I'm free... Over, I'm free from sin. I have power. I have the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. And I want everyone to experience that, don't you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the life that we find here every single week. We thank you for Jesus who did it first and who, who is our, not just our example, but our salvation. We thank you that because of Jesus' death and resurrection that we are dead to our sins, and we are alive to you, God. Every single day we, is a new day with, with new mercies and new life in Christ. Every single day you're doing something new in us. Following you should be an adventure like no other. And I pray that you would make us a church that is free, a church that is, that is on fire for you, that's full of love and freedom and grace. So that when, other, out, when outsiders come in here, they, they, they taste you and they see you and they, just, they, they determine, God, that you are good. You are good and you are loving and you're gracious. And the best thing that we could do is surrender our lives to you every single day. So God, make us more like Jesus. Pray that you would continue to transform us and use us to reach people who are far from you so that they can be brought in to your family, have peace with you forever. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. This morning, our benediction comes from Romans chapter 15, where Paul just spent two chapters talking about Christian freedom. And this is his conclusion, and may it be our conclusion as we go go our separate ways this week. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Amen. Have a great week.